here we are. This is Sex Love Psychedelics, and I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Bringing you psychosexual conversations that will leave you intellectually turned on and hungry for more. Hey, lovers. <laughs> I am buzzing from this conversation that you're about to hear. One of my favorite pastimes, super kinky, is challenging the cultural narrative and normativity that we place on gender and sex in our society. This episode is dedicated to all of our men and those who love them, but I truly believe that the concepts here are beneficial for inspiring individual contemplation around our assumptions uh, and who we are, letting form our internal working model for how sex, love, masculinity, pleasure, gender expression <laughs> should look like. Cam Fraser is my guest and his ability to hold space for controversy and various schools of thought at the same time is masterful. This is layered with controversy. <laughs> the concepts that are presented, the communities that are talked about, and I am so here for this <laughs> because in controversy, if we can tune in enough and be present enough and, and nervous system regulated enough to listen and really take in and chew on what's being presented, then I think we can create a culture in which we can find more freedom and authenticity and safety, truthfully. We talk about masculine and feminine polarity coaching communities and some of the challenges that these can present. We talk about the ramifications of powerful leaders narrowing the definition of what masculinity means and who it's for, and how men can learn practices of sensuality, play, pleasure, and even heteroflexibility while healing the internal shame of fear or rejection that may be holding them back from their most authentic and fullest expression around sexuality and self. It's so fucking good all the way to the end. I'm going to have him back. <laughs> Cam, if you're listening, you're, you're coming back. And Australia, will you please share more of Cam with the rest of the world? Because I am here for it. And I know by the end of this podcast, you will be too. But before we get to Cam, I have a gift that I want to share with you all. You know, I've been embarking on this epic quest of fusing sex and psychedelics. And I have been in my Dr. Katz workshop tinkering away at toys and tools and programs to help you navigate this. So right now I'm collecting data of people's experiences with sex and psychedelics through an online survey. This survey is designed to be both inspiring for you as well as give me more information about how this evolution in psychedelic support can look like. I'd love if you would contribute. It's all anonymous and you get to share some of your juiciest stories and insights. And as a gift, I've created a guide with some of the best playlists and thought-provoking questions to help you set up an epic soundscape for your journeys. So whether that's in psychedelics, sex, or both, because having the right music to anchor to and guide us makes such a difference in our experience. And you know that too. So if you want this, and I know you do, <laughs> I'll leave the link in the bio. Mm. 
Now to Cam Frazier, who is a certified professional sex coach and sexologist in Australia, waking up at 5 a.m. in the morning for this. <laughs> he specializes in working with men around their sexuality. And he's also the host of Men's Sex and Men's Sex Pleasure podcast. And just an overall badass educator that I really have enjoyed following and watching your reels and your hilarity. <laughs> it's such a joy. Thank you for hopping on here with me. No, thank you for inviting me on. Um, and that's so lovely for you to say, as I was just saying before we jumped on the podcast, that I've been following you for about five to six years as well. And you're one of the first educators that I reached out to when I was running a festival in Western Australia of all places. Uh, so I'm having a bit of a fanboy moment uh, this morning <laughs> getting to speak to you. It's really coming full circle, which is really cool. So thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. Well, game recognizes game for sure. So <laughs> I, I <laughs> and for those of you who are new to hearing his name, I highly recommend that you follow him because one of the uh, one of the qualities that I really appreciate about you is the groundedness in your teaching. You invite the you have a spiritual uh, element to it, but you also ground it in a lot of science, and you bring playfulness in connecting all of those two, which. To me, playfulness is such a uh, universal language and oftentimes a way that can make some of these heavier or um, numeric information <laughs> more accessible to people. So uh, really I, lovely. I, I've been really intentionally trying to bring a bit more playfulness into my life. Um, something I'm, I'm actually working on through a course that I'm doing with a friend of mine. Um, so it's lovely to have that uh, acknowledge that there is some playfulness to my work because sometimes I feel like I really lack it. So uh, I'm really appreciative that you said that. Yeah, uh, let's start there. I was going to start somewhere else, but let's start there because I think a lot of men may shy away from playfulness or assume that that's a very feminine quality or that mm -hmm. women are supposed to bring the playfulness. And uh, and here you're talking about how you're cultivating that. What does that look like for you? Well, at the moment, it looks like, um, so I've got an 18 month old son and it looks like, um, you know, very practically, you know, running around with him, crawling around on all fours, making, you know, roaring lion noises and chasing him down the hallway or putting him in the washing basket and loading him up with his favorite stuffed animals and pulling him, you know, down the hallway like a roller coaster or you know, just having fun with my son, you know, is what playfulness really practically looks like for me at the moment. That's the easiest way I can tap into it, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I guess beyond that as well, like playfulness with my partner and playfulness in my life uh, looks like being outdoors a lot more. Um, there was mm. a, you know, obviously with the pandemic and we moved and, and things like that as well, there was kind of a bit of a lack of opportunity to go out and enjoy, you know, we used to, love going on walks to like waterfalls and to, um, especially through the forest and things like that. And there's something like sensual and playful about like, or even chaotic in a sense, like playful in, in the most intense way, um, the forest and the, the woods and things like that. So spending time in those places is something that really helps me like tap into it. Um, and then beyond that as well, like, um, you know, self-pleasure as well, like just mm. bringing a little bit of playfulness to, to the way that I, um, explore my body or the way that I, you know, I'm, I'm an ambassador for love honey. So I, I have a lot of you know toys, so I get to yeah. you know, be kind of playful and creative in the way that I use toys. And, um, and so that, that's a couple of like the major ways, I suppose. And it's just been something that like, I just want more joy in my life, you know, yeah. like I, I want more pleasure. I want more joy in my life and playfulness is a really great avenue for that. And you're hundred percent right. I personally, as a guy, you know, as a cishet white guy, 
very much shied away from playfulness because I was like, that's unmasculine or it's like not, um, you know, I shouldn't need it because real men don't need to be playful. They need to be strong and stern and, mm-hmm. you know, um, achieving things and not wasting time. And there's definitely a sense of like playful play being a waste of time because it doesn't achieve anything. Uh, and this kind of like covert capitalism way of thinking about like the way we should run our lives. Uh, so boring yeah. and just yeah, straight to the point. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very like linear. And that's like, that's masculinity, right? It's like, you know, well, it's how these guys define masculinity. It's like, it's linear and it's straightforward and it's like moving forward and it's penetrative. And it's like, huh. Oh, great. Where's all the time for dancing and playing and pleasure and you know, yeah. all these other things that I want in my life. So, yeah. Um, yeah. so that's been something I've had a lot of resistance to. And now it's like something I'm really intentionally trying to cultivate. Yeah. And, and to think about play, like play is, I've done a lot of research on play and play in and of itself is like a, like a, a authentic expression. Like it's, it's very vulnerable to be yeah. playful and because we don't know how it's going to be received. And especially in this culture, that's very yeah capitalistic or production oriented, um, task oriented, where this is frivolous, being playful is frivolous, but mm. it also is renewing of our energy versus depleting. So how do we find that, how important that balance is for us to be able to sustain our health, our wellness, our relationships? Yeah, totally. It's something that can fill your cup up if you let it, right? And I think like that's the, like, and this is so like cliche because I've heard so many people talk about like self-care and self-pleasure and things like that. And it's like- (laughs) Hashtag self-care. Yeah. yeah, That's kind of like, the point, right, is to do something that makes you feel fuller so that you can then mm-hmm. show up for your partner from a place of abundance, right? Like all these buzzwords, but it's like kind of that, that's like the point of it is so that you feel filled so that then you can, you know, give from a from a full cup, not trying to give from an empty cup. And, and I often see like, especially men, especially straight dudes, mm-hmm. like they outsource their playfulness to their partner or they outsource their pleasure to their partner. They outsource their joy to their partner because that's all again, within that very limited framework of thinking about like masculinity and femininity, that's like women's roles, right? That's like a woman's job, or that's femininity is the joy and playfulness and all that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff. That's not quote unquote masculinity according to them. And so for a lot of these guys, like they're, they have that empty cup and they look to their partner to fill that cup for them. And that's where like some resentment can build from their partner, you know, or that's where some sense of neediness can come from um you know she might be noticing that oh, he you know, needs me to do this for him needs me to be playful needs me to be yeah. you know whatever uh and and that can that can create tension between two people uh, and more people if there's more people in the relationship but like that's something i'm really passionate about helping men do is like mm-hmm. fill their cup up in terms of like meeting their own pleasure needs or like diversifying their intimacy needs or all these other things that like a lot of men actually rely on women for it's like, well, let's try and find that in yourself so that there isn't like this grasping at women for your, or your partner for these particular type of needs that you have. I love the way that you just laid that out because I think for many people and I I've, I'm noticing my body having a reaction. (laughs) I I overhear very prominent leaders in the fields of self-development or, um, men's work or even even men women's work tantra really everywhere um about these traditional roles very heteronormative um cisgender heteronormative um 
expectations. And it's interesting to me to see their cult following and how much anger, how much, how much rigidity is formed as a result of this. And it, it just gets me thinking like how much of this is, um, contributing to toxicity. Um, so I, I'd be curious what your viewpoint, like, how do you view gender roles, models, expectations? Um, and how do you teach that with the men that you, that you work with? For example, I personally, over the years, um, of being in academia, I've really cultivated a perspective around sex and gender through more of the, the queer lens, the queer theory, meaning uh, really dismantling the traditional assumptions of gender and sexuality to allow for space for authentic expression of an individual. Um, that's not for everybody and that's okay, but I, I would be curious what that looks like for you. Yeah, I appreciate you asking this question. The first thing I'd like to, to um, just kind of speak about, I suppose, with clients and with people in general, I suppose, anyone who listened to me really is... Um, <laughs> like normativity, right? Uh, because we've got, you know, heteronormativity, which is this kind of assumption or this expectation that people are heterosexual. Uh, there's um, beyond that, like mononormativity, this idea that people should be in monogamous relationships. And that's really heavily pushed by a lot of men's coaches, especially. Um, that, like even beyond that as well, like, you know, I, I'm not a gay man, but I've you know read about like homonormativity, like this idea that like there's this expected way that you should be gay or that you should be homosexual, or that you should be mm -hmm. lesbian, um, it, or that you should, you should be queer. Like there's an acceptable way that you should be queer, and anything yeah. beyond that is is not acceptable. Um, so there is like you know there is rigidity there. Like I really love that word because that's exactly what it is. It's it's this is the box, and if you don't fit in the box, then there's either something wrong with you, or you'll get ostracized, or you're a deviant, or whatever it might be. And so typically that's where I start with the guys is like unpacking their stories about like what it means for them to be a man, what masculinity means to them, um, what it means for them to be a sexual man as well, or a man in a relationship, like all these stories. And, and the reason why I do that, I should say is because I did a lot of that when I was in my late teens, early twenties, I, I went and saw a um, psychologist They were trained in narrative therapy. And so I did a lot of unpacking of my stories around like, how I showed up in the world and like where I got these beliefs from and what narratives I was running in my life and just essentially unpacking those and rewriting them. And that's kind of what I do with my, my male clients. Um, and as I say, I work predominantly with um, straight dudes. The like beyond that as well, like <laughs> so polarity coaches, I cannot stand. Um, that's maybe a little bit harsh, but like <laughs> I, I, I get polarity and um, I really had a great conversation with a friend of mine. Um, his name's Tully O'Connor. I don't mind shouting him out. He, um, he talks about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but with regards to like, quote unquote, polarity. Um, cause so when you're these... saying polarity, can you define oh, where yeah. you're coming from? Because I know there's many different styles of polarity. Yes. The, 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 um, overarching way that I'll just like define polarity is just like people talking about masculinity and femininity or being in your masculine energy, being mm -hmm. in your feminine energy, yeah. and that being a requirement for a healthy monogamous relationship um, is one person in their masculine, another person in the feminine, whatever that means. It's usually very dogmatic. It's usually very mm -hmm. restrictive. It's usually very regressive as well, but um, I, I can get to that. Um, but he talks about how, um, and I really resonate with this idea of like, all these, um, all these needs need to be met down the bottom of this you know, pyramid or this hierarchy of needs. 
if people are familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's like a triangle where at the top is self-actualization at the pinnacle, but underneath all that to get to self-actualization, there's like food and water and shelter and all these like things that we need to survive really before we can start to thrive in that self-actualization space. And I feel like a lot of quote unquote polarity cultures are talking about like playing around with energies and masculine and feminine and all these like dynamics that they, you know, which there is something to, I will say, like exploring masculinity, exploring femininity, exploring energetic play with your partner. But all that is right at the top of the pyramid, in my opinion. There's so many things that need to be met underneath that to build a strong foundation for then for you guys to play in that energetic space. Like mm -hmm. something that really irks me, I'm a new dad. And um, yeah, like I said before, I've got an 18 month old and I've been told personally by colleagues of mine who are quote unquote polarity cultures, uh, coaches, that the reason why my partner and I aren't having as much sex is because I'm not in my masculine enough. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, I mean, I wanted to slap him, um, you know, because, <laughs> yeah. because Will Smith style. No. <laughs> yeah. And, and, well, and, and he didn't have kids as well. And I was like, how mm -hmm. can you say something like that when you have no experience of like a breastfeeding partner or a partner who's just undergone a cesarean section and her body's recovering or uh, sleep deprivation or a baby with colic or, you know, all these other things that, again, uh, the needs that need to be met before my, like I use me as a personal example, before I start to quote unquote, try and be more in my masculine. How about I try and find a babysitter first so that my partner and I literally have time to spend together and be intimate and focus on her not being so touched out by our son so that we can focus. It was just like, there were so many other things. I was like, mate, you have no fucking idea what you're talking about with regards to like giving me advice right now. Like mm -hmm. maybe I got a bit defensive because I was, you know, you know, those old stories of like, oh, I'm a guy, I should be having more sex, I should be more sexual. Maybe th those stories were kind of rearing their ugly heads, even though I've done a bit of work on them. Um, but it definitely was just like a wake-up call for me that there was all this stuff that polarity coaches and people that talk about masculine and infeminity all the time aren't taking into consideration. Uh, and so mm. that's why I'm like quite passionate and I feel a bit of charge when I speak about it um, because I think like they're like, it's not a they're entirely wrong. It's a yes and, right? It's mm, like a yeah. yes, we can talk about masculine and femininity and clarity and energy and things like that. And there's all this other stuff that really needs to be taken into consideration. And my argument is that other stuff is probably more important and needs to happen first before you get to the energy side of things. So hopefully that I, little rant. I sense. love it. Oh my God, I love this. I'm over here just like snapping away um, <laughs> silently so it doesn't pop in my mic. But there's this, pattern that I'm seeing as of a regurgitation of, of these lessons across, you know, we have some of the, some of these prominent leaders in the fields and especially talking about polarity, masculine, feminine, um, and then students or people who want to become coaches, you know, are listening, but rather than critically thinking for themselves, and this is this generalized statement, I get that, but instead of critically thinking, they're regurgitating and turning them into mass memes or mass social media posts, but there isn't the, the pause to question the nuance of each individual or the um, dynamic nature of human life and the stages that we move through, whether it's healing, resting, um, curiosity, adventure, and transcendence as it relates to sex. But also there's the, you know, how much, and I'll hear people say, 
you know, I'm talking about masculine and feminine energies, and these are just energies. It's not the gender, but because those words are so ingrained in our lexicon um, culture, this gender expectation, it's really hard to get away from that or to think outside of that. So I, when I'm teaching around polarity and polarity, again, can have many different forms, but I like to use words like yin and yang to help to step away from that gender, gender expectation. Yeah. And I I think like there's a broader conversation around this, right? Because I originally started to use the terms yin and yang, but then I was like, that's not necessarily exactly capturing what it is that I want to talk about. Um, And also it felt a little for me, at least anyway, I'll say it felt a little culturally appropriate Like I was like, oh, oh, yeah. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have a v- very vast knowledge of like Taoism. Like I'm familiar yeah. with it, but I'm not, I didn't feel confident enough to be like, oh, I should probably not use these words. Um, so what I try and do now is I try and use specific terms to talk about exactly what it is that I mean in those moments. So like if I'm talking about, um, you know, a very common example is like um, cultivating your quote unquote masculine energy through being more assertive and direct, right? Yeah, I will yeah. say assertiveness rather than yeah. masculine energy or rather than your yang. I'll be like, yeah. let's cultivate some assertiveness right now, right? And let's yeah, talk yeah. about being assertive and what that specifically looks like. Then if I'm talking about like, um, let's say um, a very common stereotypical quality of like quote unquote feminine or femininity is um, like uh, softness, right? Or receptivity maybe. Mm-hmm. And so I'll talk specifically about receptivity and I won't even use the term feminine. I won't even use the term yin. I'll say, you know, we're going to focus on you being receptive and how to cultivate receptivity because that way, at least in my mind as well, you know, I think language is quite powerful. So it helps me uh, personally, like disconnect from gendering things or polarizing things, but it also helps the client that I'm working with not fall into this is a gendered thing as well. Because if I start talking to him about like, masculine and feminine i mean those words are so loaded with gender mm-hmm. that yeah. like he can't help and i can't help but automatically go okay this is a female thing this is a woman thing and this is a man thing this is a male thing because mm-hmm. that's just like how we've been conditioned in society so i very mm-hmm. much am, am um, doing my best at least anyway to not use masculine femme language and just really speak specifically to the quality that i'm wanting to cultivate in myself or within him um as a coach so I don't know. That's my little two cents on, on that piece, I guess. And this is why I have you on my podcast right now <laughs> because of this exact critical thinking. I fucking love it. Um, you know, going even further with that, um, oftentimes the, the uh, concept around sensuality, like I'll get students or men reaching out to me because uh, wanting to cultivate more sensuality, but there's also a hesitancy around that because they are afraid that that will um, make them more feminine or make them unattractive to women. How do you approach men with that about that conversation or how do you help support them in that? Um, more the first thing is like, maybe it will make you unattractive to some women. You don't need to be attractive to every single person in the world. That's unrealistic and probably not the greatest thing to want anyway. So <laughs> firstly, to acknowledge that fear that it might turn some women off and that's totally fine. And, you know, that, and there's nothing you can do about that really. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, I kind of, maybe this, I don't know if this sounds harsh or not, but like, I'll, I kind of share with guys, you shouldn't necessarily be doing things for women. Like you shouldn't be doing things because they turn women on. You should be doing things because they turn you on. Right. And because they like feel 
they fill your cup up, right? And and um and like that, like I don't know that maybe that sounds harsh, but like that's kind of my belief is like if you're feeling good about yourself, if you're doing things because they feel juicy and sexy and alive for you, then your partner, whoever that is, will be attracted to that quality, right? Um, and that's the people you will attract into your life, people that like see that part of you authentically. Uh, and the people that see that part of you and they're like, no, that's not, a, that's not for me, they won't enter your life because they'll see that part of you and be like, well, yeah, no, I'm going to pass on that. And so you're kind of like self-selecting people based on just like living in that authentic space of like if sensuality and sensitivity is what you really want to explore and you're doing that, then the people in your life either are going to be repelled by that and you're never going to see them or they're going to be attracted to that and they're going to be the people that you want in your life. So um, I don't know. Uh, but, but beyond that, I guess like, um, you know, there, there is something to be said for like sensuality and sensitivity. Um, you know, I've spoken to so many women that like, they say to me, their like favorite memories or the best lovers they've had have been men that have been attentive and attuned to and sensitive and like mm -hmm. embody their sensuality and their eros and like are able to tap into that and hold that. And they said they, you know, and again, these are, are women that sleep with men, I suppose. Um, and they say that like, they can tell when they've got a, ma a male partner or a lover who like isn't. And the difference between the two, like is um, like wild for the, for, for them, these women that I've spoken to. Yeah. And so like, if that isn't like encouragement enough, like if you're, if you're a guy listening to that and you're like, Oh, like maybe I was going to explore my sensuality. I was going to explore my sensitivity, you know, my, my eroticism, but I'm not sure like, will women like it? It's like women can tell. Right. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and they, they'll know that you're embodying pleasure and embodying sensuality. And, and it does make you a better lover in my opinion, based on the conversations I've had with women. Um, and again, not all women. Um, and, and that's totally fine and valid. Uh, my encouragement for men beyond that as well is like, um, you know, similar to what I was saying before is like, you don't want to be reliant on other people for your sensuality, right? You don't want to be reliant on your partner for your pleasure. You also don't want to be reliant. This is semi-related. You don't want to be reliant on like porn for your pleasure. You don't want to mm -hmm. be reliant on an external stimuli for your pleasure. Um, you want to be able to generate that from within you. And so part of like cultivating sensuality is tapping into pleasure and, and recognizing that it's generated from within that like it's, it, it comes from you. It doesn't come from anywhere else. Um, like no one else is responsible for your pleasure. You're kind of responsible for it. So, um, so taking like the time to explore sensuality in whatever way it looks like for you. I think we also get, um, and I say we like collectively the Royal we, cause I get caught up in this as well of <laughs> like sensuality has to look a certain way. I need to go and have a bubble bath and, that's yeah. on my mind. Cause I just had a bubble bath last night, but it's like, you got to have a bubble bath and like light scented candles and you know, you get the warm oil out and great. You can do that as well. But sensuality looks really like whatever you want it to look like. If it, huh. if it like invokes sensuality in you, then it doesn't matter what it looks like. Right. It could be, you know, going out and I'm, you know, I'm looking out my window at the woods right now. So it could be going out into the woods and like, putting your hands in the earth and tilling the soil. That could be a very sensual experience, yeah, yeah. right? It's like literally engaging the senses. You're smelling yeah. the, the rain or you're smelling the, the, um, the bark or you know, you're, you're feeling the earth, whatever. Um, the essential experience could be like doing some creativity, maybe some um, getting your, your paint out. And instead of using your paint brushes, using your fingers and doing some finger painting and just like 
you know, listening to some music, that could be a very central experience for you. It doesn't, I don't know, I'm just spitballing here, but like that idea of like cultivating sensuality and what feels like it's sensuality for you uniquely mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. the important part here. Don't get trapped into thinking like, oh, my polarity coach online said, this is what sensuality looks like. So now I've got to go and do that. You can yeah, try yeah, that yeah. and maybe <laughs> take it on board as inspiration. But mm-hmm. if it doesn't look like that for you, it's totally mm-hmm. fine. That's okay. And I extend that as well to like masculinity and femininity as well. It's almost like, um, like it's, you know, people like ask me, I get asked a lot, like, what, what's my definition of masculinity? Similar mm-hmm. you know, question. Like what's my definition of sensuality? What's yeah, my defi- yeah. definition of masculinity? And my answer is never like, this is what it is. Yeah. Because as soon as I do that, it becomes prescriptive. Right. And then yeah. whoever doesn't feel sensual in that way, or whoever doesn't feel masculine in that way, then gets ostracized from that definition or gets mm-hmm. left out of that definition. So, um, yeah, I don't think masculinity exists. That's usually my answer to, mm. to that question. Mm. Um, masculinity isn't singular, it isn't monolithic. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, the, the second part to that question or that answer, I suppose, is masculinities exist by the hundreds, right? There's, mm. there's so many different versions of masculinity. And so like exploring the type of masculinity that feels right for you or like exploring what makes you personally feel masculine is what's really important here. And again, you'll see so many people prescribe yep. dogmatic, restrictive versions of masculinity. And if you don't do those things, if you don't protect, provide, preside, be assertive, be dominant, all these things that, you know, very, are very like 1950s masculinity, um, which is uh, funny to me that people call it traditional masculinity. And then it's like only from less than a hundred years ago, but yeah, that's a, that's a, another conversation, I guess. Um, like exploring things that make me feel masculine, for example, is like two juxtaposing things. Like I've got a fireplace and I go and chop wood and moving my body in that way makes me feel really masculine, right? Makes me feel like a fucking lumberjack. And I love that. But also playing with my son. Like I said before, that playfulness, yeah. that pleasure, yeah. that enjoyment, that also makes me feel like a really fucking good dad. And it makes me feel really masculine. Um, makes me feel really paternal. Makes me feel like, you know, a different type of masculinity, right? Because I get, again, masculinity isn't this one thing. It's this multiple, multi-layered variable experience. And so those two things, some people in those men's workspaces might call one of those masculine and might call one of those effeminate or might call one of those feminine and um and demonize one and and um valorize the other but i don't like that and i don't think yeah. it's really helpful i don't think it's really healthy so um yeah so this is the long-winded way of saying um explore how it feels like for you in your body and and i know it's tough but try not to take someone else's values or someone else's descriptions of an experience and like place it upon your own experience because then we start comparing and then we start like, you know, falling into the trap of like, well, I'm not masculine enough. Mm-hmm. I'm right, not right. doing it enough. Shaming. And, and yeah. Yeah, totally. And it's like, as soon as we do that, like there's such a one-upsmanship mentality around like men in like in Western society. And so it's very hierarchical, right? And so like, mm-hmm. if, if I'm not as masculine as this person, then I'm less than this person. And there's a lot of like, yeah, there's, and there's a lot of self-worth issues for guys. And it's probably one of the major reasons I believe that a lot of men bully other men, that a lot of men uh, denigrate, uh, you know, a lot of straight men denigrate queer men or gay men. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and 
you know, and demonize anything that's considered feminine because the hierarchy is femininity is less than masculinity. And so if mm-hmm. I'm doing anything that's not masculine, it must be feminine and therefore I'm less than, and therefore I've got to do something to get myself back into masculine. And for a lot of guys that looks like being aggressive or it looks like being hostile towards someone who's considered or perceived to be less than them. Right. And so they, they push someone down in order to feel that they're pushing themselves mm-hmm. up the, the hierarchy or up the ladder. Yeah. Which on a very primal level, you know, this, this pattern of division is designed to protect us. Right. And we want to, we feel a lot safer. Our nervous system feels a lot safer when we're included, when we belong, when we're a part of something. And so we look to somebody who has conviction and has, you know, preaches that they have the truth. They know the way, look at my life. This is how, this is how I did it. And who do they attract, but vulnerable populations. And I say vulnerable, um, more from a sense of perhaps, you know, us as a culture, we're still healing. We're still figuring things out. We still are learning about what we need. We're breaking away from these traditional structures, things like the church or things like, you know, political systems that, that, um, created that we're, we're, waking up to aren't healthy for us. And so we're looking for a structure somewhere else. We're looking for safety somewhere else. So we're following, you know, this is a pattern to follow somebody's really strong voice, but then that division ends up creating shame or ends up creating um, this distrust of our own thoughts, feelings, intuitions uh, to fit this group in order to survive in a sense. Yeah, I definitely resonate with that. I think there's like a lot of men that are looking towards these like male figures, looking mm-hmm. for uh, familiarity, looking for safety, yeah. looking for like a sense of belonging. And mm-hmm. um, and these guys who are, you know, charismatic and assertive and ostensibly sure of themselves, right? Like they present an opportunity for these young, typically young men, typically young white men to feel seen, right. And mm-hmm. to, to, um, and to have this like figure in their lives who is, um, who presents an idea to them that they, like I said, are familiar with, right. And, and because mm-hmm. we've been, we've been told this is quote unquote, what masculinity is by so many mm-hmm. people in our lives, by so many institutions. And, um, so these, these guys really, you know, Oh, these male figureheads, right? Just uphold that idea. And, um, and especially when like, you know, there's this, this notion of, um, that I've been looking into, I mean, I guess it's a controversial term, but it's the queering of heterosexuality. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, and I get why that's controversial. So I'm mindful of that, but like the idea of like heterosexuality and well, not even just heterosexuality, but like all of our quote unquote, like normative institutions, right? Like heterosexuality, like uh, monogamy, um, all these things that like are very familiar to people are very much being challenged, right? And they've been challenged for a long time, but like it's really starting to, um, especially with social media, especially with like um, the, uh, I guess like the prevalence of people challenging it. Like there's a lot more um, eyeballs on the people that are challenging these like really, quote unquote traditional. And I hate that word traditional as well, because they're not necessarily traditional in any sense yeah. of the word. They're, yeah. they're, they're traditional from a hundred years ago, but before that, they were different. Um, and so the idea of traditional is, is just so um, pointless. Uh, but, the, um, but the idea is like, 
a lot of these guys are seeing, you know, heterosexuality being challenged. They're seeing um, monogamy being challenged. They're seeing like these things that they, or these beliefs that they had about themselves being challenged by people who are confident in those <laughs> challenges, who are like, you know, um, who are, I mean, you know, loud in those challenges as well, like really doing their best to challenge these kind of like status quos. And a lot of guys are, instead of maybe going, oh, there's something here to explore. <laughs> there's something here. Maybe there's an invitation for me to like challenge my own beliefs. There's a, it's reactionary, right? And they go, holy shit, I can't do that. That's wrong. That's deviant. Mm -hmm. That's not allowed. And mm -hmm. they, they, you know, the reactionary idea is like, well, they, they turn back to what they perceive was, you know, normal or what they perceive was like correct or what they yeah. perceive was quote unquote traditional, as opposed to like the new thing, which again is so not true because it's not new. Um, and, um, and so that's what I'm, that's what I noticed with men is like, there's like this, this, I mean, Michael Kimmel calls it like the crisis of masculinity where like masculinity itself is like starting to be challenged. And mm -hmm. there's an argument to be made that masculinity is always in crisis. Right. And, and that like, it's, and, and deliberately so, because then it can create like, it can be insulated from challenges and things like that, but that's a, a different kind of argument. Um, but this idea that like, I see a lot of men in particular, like react or have this reactionary response to um, like women speaking out about things or have this reactionary response to like gay men and queer men speaking out about things. And it's just like, there's such an invitation there for you guys to like start to unpack some of your own shit. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, but the, the knee jerk response is to be like, nope, that's wrong. And I'm going to revert mm. back to, to something. And so like, yeah. I, I speak personally for me, like I've gotten so much value from like exploring like my sexuality or exploring my masculinity and listening to trans men, listening to gay men, listening, I mean, listening to women, listening to other people that don't share my lived experience, right? Listening mm -hmm. to black men, listening to indigenous men, because like it helps me understand my experience more. And it also gives me more perspective on other people's experiences. And so, um, and, and a lot more nuance about like life. Uh, so that's something I really encourage I mean, guys to do. And, and again, I work with straight guys. That's like my audience. That's who I try and speak to the most. And so my encouragement for them all the time is like, yeah, listen to other people. Don't just listen mm -hmm. to myself because I'll, I'll share a similar experience to you and, you know, we'll have the same kind of perspectives in life, yeah. but listen to other people who have, who have had different experiences, who live different mm -hmm. lives, who, who can share a different perspective. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just ranting now. Yeah, no, this That's is my, great. My big thing. Yeah, I give a, I give an equation. Um, Downregulate your nervous system first. So come into more of a calmer system in your body. Listening, cultivate listening, <laughs> critical thinking. So sit with and contemplate these things that we're receiving to be able to come to the final piece of discernment for ourselves. Discernment meaning right judgment, not right judgment as truth with a capital T, but right judgment for me, which is going to be just by the nature of things different than somebody else. But that's also very scary. Conflict is scary. The fear of rejection is scary. And we can feel that very viscerally on a primal level. And I, and I can, um, as you were talking, it made me think about the concept around heteroflexibility that I've been in more and more conversations about. And for anybody who's, who's curious, I did an episode about bisexuality, curiosity, queer, pansexual, what do those mean? Um, how, how can we move forward into that? But from your perspective, when you're working with, with men, um, how, I guess from my, from, from my lens, you know, I get men who say, yeah, I'm, 
interested. I want to keep diving, but there's a block there. They don't, they're, they're scared to, to step over that line of exploring with other men. Mm, yeah. I, um, I appreciate you bringing up heteroflexibility because again, speaking of controversial terms, um, is a controversial term. Uh, mm-hmm. I've heard, you know, when I've spoken about it, I've gotten pushback from, um, people. I mean, I, I don't presume that they're bisexual, but I've gotten pushback from people who are saying that, uh, heteroflexibility is, uh, bi and like, I've heard the arguments for that. And I, I, you know, I can see it, I can definitely see, um, where it can be. And then I like to apply that kind of like, yes. And also mm-hmm. like having the opportunity to, um, you know, explore sexuality, uh, and, and add more, you know, nuance and diversity to it, I think is also beneficial. Um, and then there's also the counter argument to that, which is like, do we need more labels? And, you know, do we need to have more micro identities and micro labels? That's definitely another conversation that I know people in the queer community are having. Uh, so I, I you know, want to just acknowledge there's like multiple kind of things at play here. Uh, mm-hmm. for, for me, I, I don't identify as bisexual. I don't think I'm bisexual. I, I think I'm heteroflexible. And the reason why is because I, um, and again, this is my personal definition, yeah. is because yeah. I don't, want to have sex with men, but I enjoy and I don't mind and it. And it's pleasurable for me to be in a sexual context with other men. So I don't necessarily get turned on by men and have a desire to be sexual with them, you know, uh, firsthand, let's say, but yeah. like if there's men in the space, uh, then I don't mind like the eroticism and the charge around that. And so that's like mm-hmm. why I personally would not call myself bisexual, but I'd probably say, well, there's flexibility to my heterosexuality. Yeah. Right? Um, because again, the, the definition that I use of heterosexuality is like very rigid. And maybe if, maybe I wouldn't say heteroflexible if the stereotype of heterosexual is more open and we start to really challenge like what heterosexuality can mean, then mm-hmm. by all means, I'd be like, yeah, I'm heterosexual within the context of like, you know, I'm, you know, doing all these other things and and it's not just this like one narrow yeah. definition of what heterosexuality means, which is a lot of the connotations of heterosexuality, which is where the idea of queering heterosexuality comes from is like opening up it a bit more and, and giving it, you know, nuance and space. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, mm-hmm. I, that's a controversial term. So <laughs> that's like the caveat, I suppose, to this whole idea of heteroflexibility is like, I recognize there's a lot of things out here and language is like, you know, um, it's such a funny thing. And I, I think it's really powerful as well. So that's why at the moment I'm using heteroflexible um, because it, it still focuses on hetero and you know, maybe that's an over-focusing on the hetero, but I don't know. It's, it's an interesting conversation. So I had a big conversation with Joe Court about this, Dr. Joe Court on my podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fantastic. And he talks a lot about heteroflexibility um, and gets a lot of pushback for it as well, I might add. Yeah. Uh, but the, um, yeah, the exploring of like your sexuality, um, and I say yours in like the men that are listening to this, I suppose, because that's who I'm really speaking to, is like so necessary and so valuable and like if i reflect on my own um journey i suppose with my sexuality like um i very much subscribe to this idea that like as a sexual man this is what my sexuality had to look like this is what Mm -hmm. my sexuality as a straight man had to look like right like i had to be the dominant partner or i had to be the assertive partner i had to be the penetrative partner right anatomically the penetrative partner i had to be the person that was in charge the initiator the pursuer all these things, right, that are like really wrapped up in like masculinity and sexuality and the intersection of those two things. And when I started to like just let go 
of those stories. And, you know, it doesn't mean that I'm never assertive or never, uh, you know, dominant or never penetrative. And, you know, I just do those things much more intentionally and mindfully now, but I also give myself the permission to be a bit softer, to be a bit more tender, to be penetrated, to be receptive, to be submissive, to explore like the range of, you know, the smallest board of sexual experiences that are available to me as a human being. And, and that's what I kind of encourage men to do is like, you try something twice, you know, like you might, you might try this particular sexual activity once and be like, ah, I don't know, that was, you know, kind of not exactly what I thought it would be. But I go, well, give it one more shot. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you can say, well, I gave it a red hot crack and it's not actually for me. Great. We all mm-hmm. have sexual preferences. We all have things that tickle our fancy. We all have things that turn us off. You've just discovered something that turns you off or you've discovered something that's a boundary for you. Or on the fight, you know, the flip side of that, you discover something that you enjoy and that turns mm-hmm. you on. And usually that's where the, um, that's like where the growth is and the expansion is typically because that there's, there's fear around that. Because yeah. like, if there's a boundary there and they're like, this doesn't turn me on, then it can sometimes reinforce like, yeah, I'm, I'm straight and, you know, I'm, you know, heterosexual and I'm this. Right? And it kind of reaffirms our identity. But if they discover something that they're like, whoa, this is pleasurable to me. This turns me on. Oh God, maybe that like really rigid definition of what my sexuality and masculinity was isn't so rigid anymore. Isn't so like, it starts, maybe the, the cracks start to appear and, the, and things start to waver. And there's this like new experience outside of that box that they put themselves in, which is enjoyable and pleasurable for them. And I think that's where that resistance and that growth and that like, um, that's what I like to see at least anyways, when I'm with yeah, yeah, like yeah. this, this thing that's like really kind of shaking them a little bit, but also uh-huh. like that shaking is like in a good way. And if I can hold them through that and I can help them process that. And usually there's a lot of transformation on the other side of it. Um, so that's like my, I don't know. I feel like I'm just, yeah, again, it's but that's no, 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 no. This is, it's like primes us for continuing to question. Oh, well, if that, if I realized that wasn't true, this deeply seated belief that I had, whether it was homophobia or, or around sensuality or being feminine or whatever it was, it gives us this, now this um, reference point of what else, what else am I believing or holding onto that isn't actually true for me? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think like sexual experiences and pleasure can yes. be a great avenue for like challenging those beliefs. Right? Yeah, yeah. If something's painful, we might not want to do it. But if something's pleasurable, then mm-hmm. it's maybe there's more motivation to challenge. Yeah, which is a whole nother topic of <laughs> how our culture relates with pleasure and how there's a lot more how we tend to follow more of a pain ethos of of making decisions Especially based on men's like men's coaches and men's work. It's all pain, pain, pain. Yeah, it's yeah. grit your teeth and grind and hustle and struggle and do the work and suffer yeah. and Oh my fucking God. I can't stand it. So, um, yeah. So I'm like, yes. And right. Yes. That's great. That's great. Yes, but, when and. You, but when are you pleasuring, when are you dancing, when are you enjoying yourself? Mm-hmm. Like that's circling mm-hmm. from state, you know, to the mm-hmm. start of this conversation. That's like, where's the play, you know? Yeah, exactly. Cam, let's, let's create a world where we heal through playfulness and experimentation. I, and I actually think that that lens can make it easier for us to experiment you know, if we go in and we're playing, we're just trying things out maybe. Mm -hmm. And then we're less focused on it, uh, a winning or it working right. Or, you know, in a specific way that we expect it to, but it's more of like, okay, let's play around and see what happens or let's experiment. And on the other side, 
nope, that's not for me. <laughs> yeah. I use the term experiment so often with my male clients because it's just, it kind of takes that charge out of it. That de- kind of depersonalizes it a little bit. It's like, well, it's just an experiment. You're just collecting data. It's just information. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I'm going to call this podcast episode controversial because we've <laughs> because there are layers and like you, you put it so pointedly, um, every word can technically be controversial. And I think that is important. I think these things need to be controversial. Can we cultivate the ability to sit with the discomfort or the anger that somebody else may have and enough to where we can listen and contemplate and question and be okay with being wrong, you know, being with the discomfort of being wrong or, or being, um, uh, this and <laughs> versus, but, or, or, or other. Um, so I really appreciate this, this conversation. I love our dynamic. I'm like, can we, can we make like a five hour marathon of us just talking and, and breaking down the, the cultural constructed idea of everything? <laughs> we'll have to go for, we'll have to go for round two. <laughs> for sure. Where can people find you? Where can they work with you? Everybody's going to click and be like this problem. going to follow him. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, the, the two places on social media, you can find me the most are Instagram and, uh, TikTok actually. Uh, and I'm at the Cam Fraser, um, F-R-A-S-E-R from my American listeners who tend to spell my last name wrong, but that's totally fine. I don't hold it against you. Um, the reason why I suggest social media is because I try and be as educational as possible on social media. So my like little guarantee is if you jump on my social media, you'll probably learn something new. That's like what I try and do. Um, and uh, yeah, I've got the Men's Sex and Pleasure podcast where I'm having cool conversations kind of similar to this. You haven't been a guest on there, Kat, so maybe I'll have to uh, extend the invitation to you and we can do a little uh, podcast swap. Uh, yeah, make then, sure it's 5 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'll get you back for this, yeah. Um, no, and that's, that's pretty much it. Like, if, if you're wanting to follow me, then, yeah, the podcast and social media are probably the major ways. Mm-hmm. And I highly recommend it. So thank you so much, Cam, for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been really lovely. Well, that was fun. Thanks for tuning in, lovers. And if you want to experience more ecstasy and sexual liberation, head over to sexlovepsychedelics.com and learn about how you can join me for any one of my online or live events. And while you're there, grab my free guide on sex and psychedelics. Remember, this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider and local law before pursuing any of the products or psychedelics discussed. And one final note here, I make this show specifically for you. If you're loving the show, then be sure to leave me a review in iTunes or Spotify to let me know. Happy to be here and happy to serve. I'll see you next time on Sex Love Psychedelics.